I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. I've missed you because it's been over a month since I was able to be with you because back there on uh, March 1, uh, that COVID thing caught me. Even though I was twice vaxxed, twice boosted, can't understand it. Uh, and so uh, I was determined not to give it to my wife. And so at home, I wore a mask. I even wore gloves some of the time, but she got it anyway. And she several times she said, this is one of the worst gifts you've ever given me. I said, I didn't mean to, for goodness sakes. Uh, but during that two-week period, of, uh, we were just showered by uh, messages from you folks, uh, cards, um, Barbara even inserted in, one of the, in her cards uh, little jokes that would raise our uh, temperament and attitude during the COVID. And uh, dear Frida served as sort of the two-way connection point, uh, your messages to us and vice versa. And uh, we were so blessed. And uh, my dear bride, Gloria, who is watching right now online, uh, made me promise to thank you, which I do, uh, for your kindness. I cannot imagine a more thoughtful, caring congregation than Mount Horeb, and I think that's a key reason why Mount Horeb is one of the fastest growing churches, not only in South Carolina, but in the nation. Uh, it's because your caring is so marvelous. Thank you. <clears throat> Our Old Testament lesson for today is, comes from Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And this is a beautiful story of Queen Esther, a queen of the Persian Empire around 500 B.C. And she risked her own life to save some 15 million Jews who were threatened with destruction. Her mediation prefigured the much greater mediation that Jesus would provide for us by his crucifixion and resurrection. Indeed, everything in the Old Testament points toward the New Testament. And specifically, it points toward Jesus, uh, crucified and risen. If you're able, I invite you to stand now for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And then our New Testament reading is from Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, 5th chapter, beginning with verse 12, where he is talking about the first Adam and the second Adam. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned, 
To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. In 1947, a crew of six sailors, most of them Norwegian, set out on a crude raft called Kontiki to cross the, Atlantic, the whole Pacific Ocean. And indeed, a book was written about this voyage, three months in length, and later a movie was made about it. The currents in the Pacific and the winds were so strong that Anything that dropped overboard was almost impossible to retrieve. In the second month of the voyage, a sailor tripped and fell overboard. But he couldn't swim fast enough to catch up with the raft. And at that point, another member of the crew, a man named Newt Hoagland, grabbed a life belt, dove into the water, and swam to this uh, sinking sailor and held him afloat until the other members of the crew could row that raft in a circle and get near enough for those two crew members to come aboard. In the process, a rescue was made. A life was saved. Our New Testament lesson for the morning tells us about a much, much bigger rescue mission. All humanity was lost as surely as that sailor was who fell overboard. But the last word from God is not lostness or condemnation or hell, death. No, the last word from God is glorious good news. God Almighty came to our rescue, sending His Son into our world to snatch victory from defeat. Our New Testament scripture for the morning declares two very contrasting messages. And the first one is bad news. By the sin of Adam, all people became sinners and were alienated from God, including us. St. Paul described this cosmic tragedy in these words. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. And the story of how all humanity was lost goes all the way back to the beginning. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, 
the dawn of creation. And one of the saddest, saddest verses in all of Scripture is, is Genesis 3, verse 6, where we read, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's the big part, she took some of it and ate, and she also gave some to her husband. And then Adam and Eve played the blame game. For the first time, they felt shame. They felt like hiding from God. So they hid behind the trees in the Garden of Eden. And God said, uh, where are you, Adam and Eve? And perhaps Adam and Eve whispered to each other, hey, maybe the Lord doesn't know where we are and maybe he doesn't know what we've done. So Adam poked his head out from behind the tree and said, Lord, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because we are naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit of the forbidden tree? Poor old Adam, he was caught and he knew it. He took it like a man. He blamed it on his wife. Somebody said that God gave man a wife because you just can't blame everything on the government. You just can't. And Eve knew how to play the blame game too. She said, Lord, it's not my fault. That serpent, that serpent tempted me. And that's the reason I ate of the fruit. And somebody said it's a good thing God did not quiz the snake because he didn't have a leg to stand on. Haven't we all played the blame game? Yes, we have. I have, you have. If only my parents had reared me differently. If only my spouse were more understanding. If only my boss were less rigid. If only God had given me a higher IQ, better looks, more talent. If only, if only somebody else is to blame. Through Adam, sin infected the DNA of all future generations, including ours. And it marred every facet of God's lovely creation, which God at the beginning said, it's all very good. And sin created a barrier between our holy God and us that we cannot break through. Let me compare, compare the legacy of Adam with a, a modern curse. It's said that when Albert Einstein first published his theory of relativity, there were probably not over a dozen people in the entire world who understood the implications of his discovery. Oh, but 40 years later, after the horrors of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, all humanity was thrust into the atomic age. And ever since then, every generation has had to live under the shadow of a possible nuclear holocaust. That's a modern curse. Similarly, through one man, Adam, a much greater threat entered our world. And just think for a moment about what sin has, God, has done to God's lovely, lovely creation. Uh, this sin-marred world is haunted by demons like Hitler and Stalin and Putin and Saddam Hussein. And merciless killers like ALS and cancer and COVID. And just think about how sin has divided the world. 1% approximately of the world's population lives in unprecedented affluence. 
but 25%, one-fourth, does not even have safe drinking water. And this is a world in which a college-educated middle-class parent will give his child the best of everything. Wonderful health care, uh, the most fashionable clothes, every educational opportunity he or she will take, the best of everything. But that same parent will go out and have an affair that leads to a divorce, shattering that child's uh, heart and security, and sometimes leaving a permanent emotional scar. Never underestimate the effects of sin. Uh, Pastor Bob Russell out in Louisville uh, says that there's one group in the population that understands uh, evil tendencies of people. It's fathers who have daughters old enough to date. Because the father knows that that smiling, courteous 16-year-old boy who wants to date his daughter may be a hormone-driven, selfish kid with little no, or no self-control. Fathers remember what it meant to be a teenager. Incidentally, I was with such a father yesterday. And um, his daughter was dating a young man for the first time. And the father had not, a chance, had not had a chance to meet this guy. But the father had this app on his phone that allows him to know exactly where the daughter is at, at any time. And he was watching that app. And he noticed that they were going to a movie theater. And evidently, just as the young man was going to buy tickets to the movie, the daughter sent her dad a text. And it said... Don't text me, Daddy. He's cute. <laughs> I guess that brought comfort to the father. <laughs> the world is haunted and tormented by sin. Have you noticed that even the secular newscasters on television, the ones that would never mention God except as an expletive, even they are talking about the reality of evil now which is progress. I wonder how the life, how different the life of Alex Murdahl would have been without the sin of opioid abuse. On an international level, what is it but evil that could cause a dictator like Putin to invade a sovereign country like Ukraine and already over a half a million casualties targeting, targeting now orphanages and uh, hospitals. What could cause that but evil? Every day, television news brings us uh, evidences of the reign of sin in this world with stories of overcrowded prisons, with criminal cartels down on our southern border, with thousands of addicted people living in tents on our city streets. What but sin could cause that? What but sin could cause a movie producer like Harvey Weinstein to prey on uh, underage girls? What but sin could cause thousands of American couples to desire the benefits of marriage but be unwilling to make the lifetime commitment to each other that puts the crowning touch on the marriage covenant? What else but sin? The late, great 
Baptist preacher Adrian Rogers used to say, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Yes, the curse of sin is with us. Yet, even in the Old Testament, before the birth of Jesus, God sent clear signs that a rescue, a great rescue mission was on the way. In fact, the entire Old Testament is preparation for the New Testament. For example, there's the beautiful story of Esther. Uh, This brave Jewish woman was the queen of Persia. And at great personal risk, she served as a mediator between the Persian king and some 15 million Jews who were in danger of being destroyed. Her attitude was, if I perish, I perish. Her mediation saved those 15 million. Jesus' mediation was so much greater because he has saved billions, billions of believers of all generations and no telling how many in the future. He is the great mediator between a holy God and us sinners. And the entire Old Testament points toward Jesus Christ crucified and risen. God's final and triumphant word is this. By the grace of Jesus Christ, all people can be restored to a right relationship with God. And St. Paul described that great rescue mission in verse 15 in these words. But the gift of God is not like the trespass of Adam. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man Adam, how much more? Did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And I don't know if you noticed it, but in that verse 15, the word grace is mentioned twice. Twice. It's a beautiful word. comes from a Greek word that means free gift. It's a beautiful word. No wonder so many girls are named grace. Grace is the spiritual antibiotic that is effective and appropriate for every human condition. Grace is hope for the hopeless. It is a safe path for the lost. It's a a bright dawn after a dark night. Grace is God's touch on your cheek. And grace is free. Wasn't for Christ. Wasn't for Christ. And no matter how impressive your resume, you can never earn it. No matter how awful your record you can never be barred from it Jesus paid the penalty and the price we were bought with that price we are the beneficiaries and you know what it's so free that God demands nothing from us other than this simple sincere confession Lord I'm just a plain old sinner who desperately needs a savior That's it. Now, I want you to hear these words of mine spoken with absolute compassion, with no judgment or condemnation whatsoever. The God of grace says, yes, you went through a divorce, and I felt the pain you endured. I want to forgive you and help you start anew. I want to apply the healing salve of grace to your hurting heart. The God of grace says, yes, I know you had an abortion. I know the grief you have experienced since then. If you confess that sin, I will forgive you 
and help you forgive yourself. And I want to assure you that your child is with me now and you will see that child again. I want to apply the healing salve of grace to your hurting heart. The God of grace says, yes, you have an addiction. I want to help you replace that craving with an intimate relationship with me. I want to apply the healing salve of grace to your hurting heart. The God of grace says, yes, you tend to always look at the darker side of life. Your problems always seem bigger than your blessings. I want to replace your gloom with joy. I want to apply the healing salve of grace to your hurting heart. The God of grace says, I know you were abused as a child. I understand the depths of your hurt and brokenness. When you have those bad dreams and flashbacks, I suffer with you. I want to apply the healing salve of grace to your hurting heart. The good news, the glorious good news is that there's a great mediator between the holy God and us sinners. As St. Paul assured us, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for many. And folks, when we repent of our sin and claim Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, as our Savior and Lord, a crucial victory is won. But the struggle is not over. Because traces of the old Adam, the old self, traces of that are still in our DNA. And Satan targets Christians especially because a Christian turned hypocrite is one of the devil's greatest allies. So St. Paul warns us, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And one of the Satan's favorite targets is the Christian who is drifting, drifting. Having made a profession of faith sometime in the past, this Christian sort of relaxes and gets careless about daily Bible reading and prayer, about meeting and sharing with other Christians, about looking for opportunities to share Christ with others. But folks, remember this. We must either grow in Christ or we will surely distance from him. We never stand still. All of us resemble Humpty Dumpty in a way. You know the mythical egg who sat on the wall and had such a great fall? Because all of us have had our falls, some big, some medium, some small. And none of the king's horses and none of the king's men can put us back together again. And neither can the world's best psychiatrists or wisest theologians. Ah, but I know a king who's in the business of fixing broken people. And his name is Jesus and he loves you. One of Max Lucado's favorite stories, favorite for me, is um, one he told about his two little daughters when they were young and they were running a homemade curbside lemonade stand. And they were doing a really brisk business. Uh, they were selling it for five cents a cup. Now this was years before inflation took a heavy toll on our economy. Uh, but they were selling their lemonade, oh, uh, cup after cup. And then a stranger drove up and um, asked for a cup of lemonade. And one of the girls 
went to the ice chest and said, oh, Dad, we're out of ice. The stranger said, don't worry, I'll take it warm. That's fine. And the other daughter, Andrea, uh, started to pour from the pitcher, and she said, oh, we're almost completely out. And she poured about a half cup of sugary, syrupy ooze. And the stranger said, that's okay. I only want about a half a cup. And he gave the girls a, a dollar bill and, and said, keep the change, and drove away. And Max Lucado was watching this, and he thought to himself, what an amazing transaction. The girls gave this guy a half a cup of syrupy, sugary ooze, and he gave them 20 times as much as he should. And Max said, that's grace. And we are just as surprised as those little daughters of his that we receive from God Almighty 20 times as much, no, 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 a million times more than we ask or certainly deserve. By the grace of God, the legacy of Adam has been conquered. And as my good friend Maxie Dunham loves to say, if you have everything but don't have Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have nothing and have Jesus, you have everything. And as I love to say, and you've heard me say before, nobody is good enough to get to heaven without a Savior. And nobody is so bad as to be beyond the reach of the Savior's love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And let us pray. As we go to God in prayer, let's begin with a few moments in silence. There may be persons within the sound of my voice who are being nudged by the Holy Spirit to make today your day of salvation. And all you have to do is say to God sincerely, I confess my sin and I dare to believe that Jesus paid for that sin when he died on that cross. And I'm so grateful that I invite the risen Christ, the living Christ, to be the Lord, the commander of my life. If you say that from the heart, you are saved. Perhaps you made that commitment long ago, but feel a need to renew it right now. Well, you may do so in these moments of silence. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the great second Adam, the mediator who bore our sins and represents us before the throne of the Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, seal us as God's children forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.